We are continuing in our study of the Gospel of John, walking through chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph. And this Lord's Day, we come to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 31. So just reminding you, what's happened just before this was that wonderful miracle of the feeding of 5,000 plus. We're told 5,000 men, and the other Gospels make clear, and women and children. So 15, 20,000 people, Jesus fed them all with five loaves, two fish. After he dismissed everyone, remember that he put the disciples in a boat to cross the sea. The storm blew in, and Jesus walked through the storm on the water to his disciples uh, to come and land. That's where we are now as we begin in John chapter 6, verse 22 to 31. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no one other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we will see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So we see the follow-up from the feeding of the 5,000, and then there was that private miracle known only to the disciples of Jesus walking on the water. Now, Jesus walked to, remember, joined them in the boat. The boat was on land. So if, again, if you're looking at a map of Israel and especially the Sea of Galilee, if there's the body of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is on the northwest corner. And where the feeding of the 5,000 was, was in Bethsaida on the northeast corner. So they'd cross the sea. The other Gospels tell us a little more information about when Jesus landed. For example, in Matthew 14, 22, we read, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. So one thing we know is that when Jesus, uh, that night before, knows what it says. He made his disciples to go across the sea, and then he set the multitudes away. That helps us know the crowd saw Jesus take that one boat, put his disciples in, and send it away. So they watched that. And that affects the, their, what happened next. They saw Jesus send the disciples. They saw the boat gone. And now... 
all they knew is as they were being dismissed on foot and maybe getting in their own boats, Jesus was being left alone in Bethsaida, the northeast corner, with no boat. Okay, so as they, 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 and that's why I think they came back. They thought, well, we didn't see him walking through our neighborhoods, Bethsaida or Capernaum. We, didn't, we would have seen Jesus coming through. He didn't have a boat, so we know where to find him. Let's go back and see some more miracles. In particular, let's go get some more food. That's a great way to do your shopping. So the next morning they came, several of them, we're not told how many, looking for Jesus, but he was gone. And, and so now there's a question for them. Uh, how did, where did he go? There was no boat. He didn't walk through their neighborhood. They would have seen him. So there's the question. We're then told in verse 23, however, other boats came from Tiberias. Again, if you're looking at that Sea of Galilee map, over here is... Bethsaida over here is Capernaum. Down here is Tiberias, down on the middle of the western side, or middle of the left side, if you'd like to look at it that way. And, and, and boats came from Tiberias. Uh, there was a little harbor there, but I think probably, I'm wondering why they went, different suggestions have been made, but Bethsaida was a fishing village. Bethsaida literally means house of fish. And so, if you think about the, much of the world, you know, when, when is it you go and get your meat for the market? You go first thing in the morning. And so, Tiberius is going over, the, the boats from Tiberius are going to pick up fish for the markets in Bethsaida. So, that's, I think, why these boats are showing up all of a sudden over there. And... Um, and, it, and there's, again, that's right there where the, the bread was, but we just told the boats show up. And so when the people therefore saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum. They said, hey, uh, while, we're, while you're here, take us over to Capernaum, about four miles across the sea. So the main idea is John is setting us up to understand this next in, this period of encounter with Jesus. There was the feeding of the 5,000, and, and again, 15, 20,000 people saw the miracle. There was no question in their mind. Jesus miraculously produced food. But now there's this mystery. Where did, where did Jesus go? Well, they go looking for him in Capernaum because that was kind of the town where he was staying for most of his ministry in Galilee. So let's, let's, go find, let's go to his home base and see what we can find. Verses 25 and 27, it tells us about their encounter. Now when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they're confused. And so they ask him, uh, when did you come here? You know what they're really asking is, how did you come here? When did you, when did you get here? We left you in the night, no boat, you didn't walk. And so they're, they're, they're confused and they're asking. Now Jesus could easily have said, I've got a good one for you. I walked across the sea. 
And where do you think that response would have been? They wouldn't believe it. They couldn't have seen it. But notice how Jesus responds. What they're asking is, how did you get here? And again, the other, the other gospels fill in details. Matthew 14, verses 34 and 36. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place, the speaking of disciples of Jesus, recognized Jesus, they sent out all that into all the surrounding region, brought to him all the sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. So, Jesus left the feeding of the 5,000 by walking across the sea and joining his disciples. When they landed, as soon as they got out of the boat in the morning, because we're told it was late night, they knew who he was. What's the first response? They ran to get the sick people they knew because Jesus could heal them. And remember, in this time of the world, there wasn't great medicine. There wasn't great health. Disease was, you know, things that we take so for common. Oh, I'll just go get some antibiotics. Were unavailable. And when Jesus came on the scene, everybody who knew someone was sick, they went running to get them and say, this is it. This is your chance for health. The sick came. The lame came. The blind came. Maybe some lepers came. Everyone with all kinds of disease came flooding. And so, so the, again, there's the crowd and everyone that just, if they just touched him, they were healed. Can you imagine what that scene would look like? Have you ever seen on, on the news when maybe a food shipment arrives in a place of, of famine? Things quickly get really wild. Well, can you imagine the scene when all these desperately incurable people find out a healer is here that can vanish your disease? Can you imagine the parents, child in their arms, pushing through? No one's, getting, no one's going to stop me. I'm getting my baby to Jesus. Well, so with that scene, now the people are coming on their boats from Tiberias, and, and they could probably guess when they look and see all this wild activity on the, on the, around the shore, they're thinking, guess what? Jesus must be there. And they, they, so they don't know how he got there, but we see Jesus getting there. So they said, how'd you get here? When did, when did you get here? And of course, they're asking how. I notice, uh, notice how Jesus answers. Jesus answered in verse 26 and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. What was the question they asked? When did you get here? What did they mean? How did you get here? What did Jesus answer? He didn't answer the question, did he? What did he say? You seek, I'm telling you, you're looking for me not because of the, you saw the sign, but because your bellies got full. Have you, have you ever watched a politician an answer a question? Have you ever, do you ever get a little frustrated? It might be a, a simple question like, can you tell me what day of the week it is? And, 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 and what they do is they come to these things with their talking points, right? Well, you ask what day of the week it is, and that's a good reminder. We have a very full calendar in the Congress, and these are the three bills I'd like to push through. In other words, they've got their talking points. 
I don't care what you ask them, they're going to answer it. Well, I, don't want, I hate to compare Jesus to a politician. But, and there is a difference. Those politicians, and I know I'm being kind of unfair and putting them all in a box, but they have their agenda of what they want to say. But notice, first of all, Jesus wisely doesn't feel like he has to answer their question. When did you get here or how did you get here? But more importantly, he's not answering their question. He's answering their heart. See, you know, he hears the question, but Jesus, more than hearing the question, he's hearing what's going on in the heart that's asking the question. And this is one of the wonderful things of our Lord. When people came to him with questions or concerns, it would be very easy just to answer the question. But our Lord hears the heart. He sees the heart and he speaks to the heart. When did you get here or, or, or how did you get here? What does he say? Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Why are you looking for me, he might, he might say. I'll tell, and, but he doesn't even ask. He says, I'll tell you why you're looking for me. Not because you saw the sign, but because you wanted the food. I'm challenged by Jesus' example. Too often when I hear a question asked, I answer the question. And I miss the point that what's going on in the heart that's asking the question? Oh, that, that I might have the wisdom to truly listen to what, what's behind the question. The teachers going into vacation Bible school, there's a challenge for you. Parents, there's a challenge for you. It's so easy to look at the outward circumstance, the question, the comment, what's going on in the heart that God would give us the wisdom and insight to hear the heart and speak to the heart as Jesus did. And so he challenges them. You're not here because you saw the signs, but because you ate food. You didn't, not for what you saw, but for what you ate. They, they saw, you know, when they saw the miracle, what are they looking for? They're looking for more food. And fish. Instead of saying, Lord, who are you? We've heard many a rabbi in our day, no one has done anything like that. Who are you, Lord? But they're not asking that, are they? They're saying, hey, can we get some more food? Jesus knows what's in their heart and speaks to it. He says, you didn't see the signs and what's a sign? Based on uh, the English language in America, a speed sign means absolutely nothing. Uh, it, it's, it's something to maybe uh, block the wind as you're driving by. We don't pay attention to signs, do we? Uh, we just look at that and move, blow through too often. What Jesus is saying is, 
What's a, what's a sign do? It points you to something. It points you to this is how you get there. The miracles were a sign. To, they weren't just so you would, you know, they, that Jesus could fill their stomachs. The miracle was to say, look who did this. They were, they were pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus, remember Nicodemus could come to him and say, no one can do what you do. No one can do the signs that you do unless he's sent from God. So when Jesus was doing the miracles, it wasn't because he was, uh, ultimately it wasn't because he was trying to get rid of disease and, and, and get rid of hunger. He was trying to get rid of the disease of the heart and the hunger of the soul. He was doing those miracles because God said that's what the Messiah would do. And in doing them, he was showing them, now you know who I am. But they weren't paying attention to that. They ignored the sign instead of seeing to whom was the sign pointing. That's what they should have been asking. Instead of, where did he go and how did he get there? They should have been saying, who is he? Remember when Jesus stilled the storm in the boat with his disciples? In the other gospels we hear that account. Those disciples who knew, you know, they were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew it. That was a storm that scared them to death. And as they were holding on for life and crying out in despair, remember Jesus just got up and just told the storm, be quiet. And suddenly, not like a lot of storms that slowly blow away, suddenly the sea was like glass and, and calm. What did the disciples say? That was cool. Do it again. No. What did they say? Who is this? That even the storm obeys his voice. That's, that's how they should have been responding. What's the crowd saying? We want more. The disciples at least got the idea. Who is this that can, that can calm a storm? Who is this that can walk on the sea? Who is this that can feed over 10,000 people from a, a, a small basket of food? But they weren't looking at the sign that was telling them who Jesus is. And so the miracles that we saw in the the New Testament time, those miracles were given by God to say, these are my messengers. They're bringing, Jesus is the Messiah. And these disciples are bringing, you know, God's revelation. In in Hebrews 2 verse 4, we're told that. God bearing witness both with signs and wonders. And so the miracles of the New Testament era were to to be pointers and say, these people are bringing my message. That's why those miracles aren't seen today. Because we're not getting this new message from God. And so he doesn't need to endorse that message with these miracles. The miracles were were pointers. They were signs. They, did, they weren't just for themselves, but they were to point to Jesus and his message. So Jesus said, your problem is, you're, you're, you're coming after me because you like the free food. 
And you're not asking, who could do that? Well, verse 27, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, Jesus is talking here about don't labor for food, but but seek food. That's how our Lord often teaches, isn't it? Remember Nicodemus. You must be born again. A Nicodemus born again. How, do you, how are you born again? How, how, I, do I go back to my mother? No, I'm talking about birth, but not birth. I'm using physical birth as a spiritual picture of spiritual birth. Then to the woman, Samaritan woman. I can give you water while you'll never thirst again. And she says, that sounds great. I'd love to never have to come to the well and draw water again. I'm not talking about that kind of water. He, he uses the, her physical thirst for water as a picture of the spiritual water that satisfies. And so he's using a picture. You saw me provide food. I have better food than bread. I have eternal food that gives eternal life. So that's what he's saying there. Um, he's, he's using this language. And what he says is, you know, you, you can get all caught up in, in pursuing this, the physical food that perishes, as do those who depend on it. And so often we get caught up in just meeting today's needs, don't we? Uh, whether it might be day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck, or you know, planning for the future, whatever it might be, we can get all caught up in, in the physical and having our financial goals. Nothing wrong with, we need to provide for our families. We need to provide for our food. But he's saying there's more to life than the things of this world. And we need to think beyond that to the eternal. Kind of reminds me of, I mentioned before, the, this uh, young man got on a, a, boat, a bus, I guess, and, and there was a, a, a well-known a statesman, a, a well-known leader. And he started talking to him, and, and he said, um, you know, and, and, and so the young, you know, about his great goals and ambitions. And so the statesman said to him, young man, so tell me, what's your plan? He says, uh, well, I'm going to go to a, a good school so I can come out with a good degree. And he said, then what? Well, then I, I want to look for an internship uh, with, a, with a well-known leader uh, to really establish my reputation. Then what? Well, one day I hope to get into a good law practice and, 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 re- and, and build a reputation. Then what? Well, honestly, after that, I'd like to get into politics and, and rise to the top. And then what? Well, prime minister would be wonderful. This was England. Then what? And the, the young man by now was starting to get a little frustrated. And he said, well, then what? Well, I suppose after that I retire. And he says, and then what? Well, I guess after that I die. And he said, and then what? You see what he's trying to say? We can get so caught up in now and forget the final then what. And so Jesus is saying, be careful about laboring He's not saying don't, don't labor for food. He's not saying don't get a job. But what he's saying is don't think that that's all there is to life. 
You've got to talk and think about the then what. Because that then what, that final then what, we never know if that's going to be tomorrow or in 50 years or this afternoon. And so Jesus warns them. But but he said very simply to them, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So you might naturally say, well, where do I find that food? Well, he tells them, which the Son of Man will give you. And Son of Man was the label he he liked to use of himself. That was a, a title for the Messiah from the book of Daniel. Because God the Father has set a seal on him. In other words, Jesus can give you this eternal life. How do you know? Because God put his seal on him. What was the seal? That was, that was, uh, that's how you show something is official and approved. That's like getting a notary statement. It's got the seal of approval. And he said, well, how did God do that? Well, the miracles were God's seal, saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And so what he's saying is, don't get caught up and lost in just getting the, the, the food of the day. You need to think about eternal life, and you can get that from the Son of God, whom God sent. I, he's saying, I'm God sent one who can give you eternal life. Well, they then asked the question in verse 28. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the work of God? So he's saying, about, he talked about labor and labor and work. It's the same language. He says, don't work for food only for today. I mean, again, of course you work for food for today. The Bible talks a lot about you, 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 that's how God provides for us. We get a job and we work. But he's saying, don't let that be your only pursuit. Don't let that be your greatest pursuit. And so they asked then, what shall we do that we may do the work, the works of God? See, that was always the question in the Jewish mind. The, in the, in the, in the rabbis had, had taken the scriptures, uh, which were teaching salvation by grace through faith, and they, they turned it into a, a religion of works. You have to earn God's approval. You have to earn God's salvation. And so then the question is always, well, how do I know I've done enough? See, the Bible says salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. And so if you tell someone, I know for sure I'm going to heaven, they think instantly, how can you be so arrogant and proud? You think you're perfect? No. I'm saying it's a gift. You can't earn it. What are they saying? Tell us, what do we need to do to get to heaven? Tell us, the, what works shall we do that we may work the works of God? See, they, they knew there are lots of commandments in the Old Testament. In fact, the rabbis counted up 613 of them. What are the most important, what are the works we need to do? Give me a list. What do I need to do to get to heaven? And you know what? There's lots of religions that will give you that list. But you know, every one of those lists, they always end up, well, and, is, and is it then guaranteed? 
Uh, no. I one time just jokingly said to a, one of my professors, what do I need to do to guarantee I'll pass this class? And he just kind of he gave me back a joke, like there, is, there are no guarantees. You know, when, when can you say you've done enough? Well, he's saying, the, the world's saying, what are my works? But you talk to anyone like that. When, if, when do you know enough? Well, then you just hope you've done enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, we always say, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. I could have done more. And there's all the things I messed up. But he's, they sing, tell us the works we need to do. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God. They talked about works. Give me a list. What do I need to do so that God will accept me? Get, and, and, and so many religions, you, you know, your giving, your repentance, your prayers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's your list. Notice what Jesus said. This is the work, he only says one thing, of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Now, he's not saying that work is now, if you believe that you've earned salvation, but this is the one thing you do. You receive the gift. So this faith, he's saying, it's not something you do that now you've earned God's approval. Faith is the open hand, the empty hand, that receives God's gift of salvation. He says, you, I'll tell you what you do. You believe in the one whom God sent. Obviously, they knew he's speaking of Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you will have eternal life. It's not what you do, it's whom you trust. Notice their answer in verse 30. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? So they're saying to him, you want us to believe in you? Show us a miracle. Wouldn't that be frustrating? People, remember Remember yesterday? <laughs> 15,000 people, five fish, five loaves, two fish. Show What are you going to do something so that we can... And remember, and there's a crowd surrounding them, but people have just been healed. But notice they go on. Our, our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they say, now... You know, in the Old Testament, God did a really good miracle. He gave them food to eat. For 40 years in the wilderness. You just gave us one meal. I mean, come on. You could do better. Than so what they're saying is, you know what they're saying? There's no miracle you can do that's really going to convince us. They've seen plenty. I mean, like I said, the feeding of the crowd. Whoever saw such a thing? And they saw it with their own eyes. They ate it with their own mouth. The, the crowds right around them healed of disease. Uh, show us a miracle so we can believe in you. What they're really saying is, notice what they're saying? Why don't you give us free food for the rest of our lives? Remember earlier it said they were getting ready to seize Jesus and make him king. You know what they wanted? 
is they wanted a king that would give them free food and free medical care for the rest of their lives. Then we'll follow you. But not really. Not with their heart. So, so you see the, the hardness of the heart here. They say, show me a miracle. Do you remember when Jesus told the story of the, the rich man and Lazarus that went to, to, you know, died? And the rich man who had been a wicked man was in torment. Lazarus, who had been a believer, was in paradise. The, 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 the rich man in torment cried out and said, please, send someone to my brothers and tell them, tell them of the judgment that's awaiting them. Send Lazarus back. Make him alive again and send him back. And the answer he got was, if they won't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe someone coming back from the dead. And the Bible shows that. When Lazarus, a different Lazarus, is actually raised from the dead, what's the Jewish unbelieving response? We have to kill him because it's too obvious something happened here. And so... It's not people don't, miracles do not convince people. That's why they're not such a big deal. The thing the miracles did is they, that was God's way of saying, I predicted my Messiah would do it and he's doing it. This is the evidence who Jesus is. The miracles aren't the message. You know, many, many a ministry and many a church gets confused with that. And they start thinking that the purpose of church is to wipe out hunger. That's not going to happen. And, but but ch- some ministries and some churches get so concerned about wiping out hunger, they're only thinking about the physical hunger and they're forgetting the eternal hunger. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to, to give mercy. Uh, to, to you, know, you know, the church has just recently sent a gift to Samaritan's Purse to uh, help with the ministry uh, of, of the people that are coming out of the Ukraine. That's an act of mercy, but it also is a way of showing them the love of Christ. It's to point them to Christ. If we have vacation Bible school and it was all games and treats, and, we, and the kids walked out and said, boy, did we have fun, and that's it? That's not such a success. But if the kids come out and say, I learned about Jesus, and I had fun and had great treats, that's a success. The issue is not meeting our physical or even emotional needs. The issue is in every heart there's a need for Jesus Christ. There is an, there's an appetite, there's a hunger, there's a a starvation for true bread, eternal bread, eternal life. And the answer for that is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. You've heard of the philosopher, mathematician Pascal, who said in, in every man's heart is a, is a God-shaped vacuum. And what most men will do is they will try and fill that empty spot with something else instead of Jesus Christ. But, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever put a key, a key into, into a lock, but it, it doesn't work? Um, what do you do? You turn it harder. <laughs> you think, I need a different key. It's not fitting. 
And what God is saying is, your need, you have a hunger in the heart that's eternal. And there is only one answer for that. That is Jesus Christ, who died for our sin, rose from the dead, and offers forgiveness and eternal life when we trust in him as Savior. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, be clear in that message as you share it with others. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, hear what he is saying. Don't get caught up and worried just about the things of this world. You have eternity to think about. You need to believe on the one whom God sent for you. You need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ among us. Thank you for giving him the miracles that prove to us who he is. Father, thank you that you accepted his offering on the cross for our sin, not his. And rose, raised him from the dead victorious. Father, how I pray that each one of us would know Christ as Savior. That each one who hears these words would trust in him and have that eternal life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.